0: Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Go to 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, let's get 23 to 28. Everybody all right You waiting on God to move, God's waiting on you to move. I'm glad I go to a church where it's okay to clap. It's okay to rejoice. It's okay to be happy and excited. It's okay to get out of your seat and come down here and pray when the Lord is dealing with you and speaking to you. Nathaniel, you just do your thing, okay? We're just we're gonna let this be the message. You know, I was gonna preach. Uh, I was gonna preach about Mary. I was going I was gonna preach a Christmas sermon in July. I was gonna preach about Mary when she found out she was going to be pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God. And I was going to talk about change. I was going to preach on a change that's going to come. They say a baby changes everything. And what was about to change her world was going to change the world. I was going to talk about how God births change in you and brings change through you. I thought about preaching on there's something about Mary. Maybe we'll talk about change before we leave here today, or maybe at some point we'll talk about it soon. I've got some real strategic things I want to say over the next few weeks before August gets here, but we don't do this every Sunday. The church I grew up in, we, we did the Lord's Supper, and it was a it was more of a religious formality than it was anything else. And when I say grew up in, I say that loosely. We, we went just a few times a year. But every Sunday they did it, and there's nothing wrong with doing it every Sunday. There's nothing wrong with doing it once a year because we don't really have an expectation set on frequency. It, Jesus said as often, as often as you do it, here's here's how it needs to happen when you do it and And I'm telling you what we did growing up, what I was a part of, it's probably what most of us had seen. you know it, the same group of men got those big old fancy looking trays. Looked like a like an archaic medieval charcuterie board. Got all that stuff set up around it and they'd bring it and they'd pass it through and, you know, it's intimidating and daunting when, you know, you're having to literally pass that thing and you see all that little grape juice right there at the top and you're like, gummit, Ethel poured this stuff too much. It's right there at the top about to f- spill over on everybody else's juice. And... um we took it, I mean, growing up, you know, my mom and dad, my mom's like, drink this. And that, was a, that was the best part of the church service, you know. We fell asleep back there playing with Matchbox cars or Ninja Turtles. Our parents were late to every single church service. And, uh, you know, they make it here on time and live an hour away. And we live five minutes from that church and couldn't even get there on time. We took communion the Lord's Supper every Sunday. I had no idea what I was doing. Looking back knowing what I know now, mom and dad had no idea what they were doing. We just, hey, this is the juice, here's that cracker, like everybody does it, we're all supposed to do it, like this is just what we do. And there there was never any gravity in the doctrine of that church as far as being clear in communicating like not until I started pastoring and preaching did my parents ever understand what what this is and why we do it now we don't have anybody that's going to pass a tray around so there's gonna be no daunting task today of having to balance the juice or such we 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 do things a little bit more streamlined and simple as far as the elements go we keep that real easy as far as the emphasis go I'm going to break that down for you biblically while we're doing this And if the Lord will let me, I'll walk through this text and I'll give you a little something you can take home and chew on, no pun intended, and it'll help you and bless you. And hopefully, hopefully, this won't just be a time of instruction and information, but my objective today would be that the Holy Spirit will speak through this Word and it'll change somebody's life. It'll change the way someone sees the Lord's Supper. And ultimately, it'll change the way you see the Lord Jesus Christ and you see yourself today. If you want the Holy Spirit to speak today, come on, let's just clap our hands. Let's, let's lift up some praise. I want God to show up. Come on, let's give him praise in the house. I want him to show up. I want him to speak. I want him to move. And, and Paul, Paul's not only writing this out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's writing this because the church of Corinth is whack. They have gone crazy. Church gone wild. They, they have literally come apart at the seams with Christian, Christianity and carnality. So he's writing these letters to set a lot of things straight. And <laughs> the Lord's Supper was something that, they turned into more of a golden corral buffet feast. No, I'm serious. People were stuffing themselves to the point of gluttony. People were showing up to wherever the worship gatherings were, drunk. I ain't ain't talking about no... uh, You know, like over there in Israel, the the wine is one5 2.5%. I'm talking... I, 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 I'm talking old Josephus over here making his own homemade wine, coming in there at 23%, staggering, looking for some scripture. Everybody all right? Paul's like, we got we to fix this. Y'all don't understand how sensitive and serious this is. This is a sacred thing. And it sure as heck ain't supposed to be some religious formality, and it's not supposed to be something that everybody does. you probably like, well, wow. Why would someone be excluded? Well, it had nothing to do with exclusion. It, was, it had more to do with, one, it was for believers. And two, it was for believers that understood and took it serious. And, and what we need to do is what Paul was trying to do. We need to take another look at the Lord's Supper because when you look at the elements alone, when you look at the, the wafer, the, the, the juice, when you look at the bread and the cup, Everything that Jesus did in that last supper, that that Passover feast that he did when he instituted this before his death, burial, and resurrection, he was instituting and ordaining something that would be ceremonially upheld in the church. Two things were ordained for the New Testament church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And when he ordained this Lord's Supper, he said, I want this to be something that you do with importance because I want it to be focused on me. So Paul turns around and teaches this. And when he does, he breaks it down for the church at Corinth in chapter 11. And in verse 23, when we look at the Lord's Supper, we're seeing something that all is supposed to point to. This right here points to something we're supposed to be looking at. And he said this. Look at verse 23. He said for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread verse 24 and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me verse 25 and the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it. So when, when he tells us to look at the Lord's Supper, the Scripture causes us to look in three different directions. The first thing the Lord's Supper is... If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Yes, the Lord gave this to me while I was laying in the bed and helped me write it down and remember it this morning. So I'm going to try to just rehearse from memory and the archive power of the Holy Spirit right now. Just help me preach this word and I promise you we'll get out of here in time to eat our own lunch. The first direction that we're supposed to look when we look at the Lord's Supper is we're supposed to look back. I want you to say that with me. Look back. Everybody say that with me. Look back. Not into our own past. But in the archived history of the text, where the Bible teaches us that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he was establishing something that he wanted to continue. He was saying, I want you to look back at, in time at what I did, what I established, because this Points to what I did for you. It not only points to what he established, oh God, stay with me. I'm about to preach right now. It also points to what he endured. He said, Take this bread, this unleavened bread. It represents my body. And he broke it. He said, My body is going to be broken for you. The disciples did not quite comprehend or understand what Jesus was saying. We're here in the hours leading up to his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and his beating, his scourging and his crucifixion. He breaks this bread pointing to the portrayal of what would happen to his body. They said that unleavened bread came in loaves that had two defining things about it. The first thing is it had scorches or stripes. The way it was prepared and and, and baked, it came with stripes on it. The second thing that unleavened loaves had is they had piercings or holes poked in them they had no idea that when they took that lo- that loaf and they broke it those stripes represented the stripes that he would endure from the 39 lashes of the Roman soldier they had no idea that the holes in that bread represented the nail holes that would go in his hands in his feet and the spear that would go in his side and so when he broke this bread he was also showing them what he would endure. He gave them the cup and he said, This portrays my blood. A blood, watch this now, that opens up a new covenant. Pastor Derek, you got to stop using all this Christianese and these big old words. Covenant, what's a covenant? A covenant is like a contractual agreement that God makes with man. I want you to get this clear now. It ain't something that man makes with God. It's something that God makes with man. You know why God doesn't expect man to make a covenant with God? Because man does not have the ability to keep the contract that he creates, but God God, on the other hand, has the ability to keep the contract that he creates. And Jesus said, this cup, this fruit of the vine, represents my blood that is shed for you. I want you to watch this because I'm about to preach up in this place and help you this morning. That blood ushered in a new contractual agreement that God was making with man. The first contractual agreement that God made with man was in law. The blood of of bulls, goats, and the sprinkling of that of a pigeon dove and a heifer was the blood that was supposed to suffice the payment of sin year after year after year. But the blood of bulls and goats the Bible teaches us could never wash away or bring the remission of sins commuted by humanity. But I am glad to tell you and to report to you that the blood of Jesus was the last blood that God would ever require. It was the last blood that would ever be shed. It was the last blood that God would ever demand or that God would ever need. So I need you to notify your face and notify the person next to you that because of his body and because of his blood, we can look back when we partake of the Lord's Supper and we can remember, we can make it Memorial Day all over again and recognize that it was because he gave us life's body. He gave us life's blood. He did it for you. He did it for me. He stood in the gap And he paid the price Somebody better help me bless him On this Sunday in July Yeah I'm sorry I have to apologize I'm still not over it I'm still not over it I'm still not over That I'm under his blood I'm still thrilled Over the fact that he took my place I am thrilled that when I stand in the courtroom of heaven, I will not plead my own righteousness. I will not plead my church attendance. I will not plead my works. I won't plead the, the power of my sermons. I will plead the power and the precious touch of his holy blood and his broken, resurrected body. Somebody help me one more time, bless him. He says, when you partake this, look back. Look back at what I established. Look back at what I endured. It should be a special time when we partake of this because this symbolic portrayal points us to look back at what Jesus went through for us. It was not a light thing, it is not a light thing. In verse 26, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink of this cup, you do now look at that King James English word. Shoe. You do shoe. Not show, not shoe, shoe. You shoe. You proclaim. Here's another way, here's another way to translate it. For as often as you do this, you're preaching, you're demonstrating, you're openly declaring the Lord's death, watch this, till he come. I was never taught this in college, I was never taught this in seminary, I didn't learn this in my first 15 years of pastoring and preaching, but a few years ago I was studying this and I saw that phrase, and it pointed me to something that I had been overlooking the entire time. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, you don't just look back, but partaking of the Lord's Supper should cause you to look up. Because you're doing it preaching what He did for you and pointing to what He did and awaiting what He's going to do next. <laughs> See, if the, if the verbiage says, till He come, this is, this is almost contradictory language here. We're talking about somebody that died, but the next phrase after the word death says, till he come. That don't make any sense. Because when somebody dies, they're done. When you're dead, you're done. But if you've glimpsed in the Gospels and you know the old story, you know the reality that When our Savior died, He was not done. That the scripture teaches that He rose again the third day, glorious, celestial, resurrected body. I'm talking a body that this earth was not ready to deal with. A, A body that was so supernatural in its glory that He could walk through a wall, He could eat fish and bread, a body that was so supernatural. Watch this now. Watch this. I'm about to go Marvel DC on you. Watch this. He could fly. No wings. No propulsion system. No super jet technology. No cape. Acts 111. I'm talking before there was ever a superman, my God I'm about to throw this juice. Before there was ever a Marvel comic, before there was ever a Man of Steel. I'm talking about somebody who died, came back to life because he who was 100% man was also 100% God and after his resurrection he ascended. And this doesn't, when I, look, this doesn't just help me look up and remember that He's alive. It also helps me remember that one day He will arrive. The same one that sits at the right hand of the Father, right now, seated in glory, in a place so splendorous and so beautiful and so glorious, that same God, one day, in resurrected celestial form, is going to part the clouds of the eastern sky, And every eye will see him. They will look upon him that they have pierced. And when he comes down, the church of the living God is going up. Can I, can I go ahead and go on record I ain't going to be like one of them mysterious veiled TBN preachers and you don't know what I believe I still believe that he's coming back I still believe that the church is going to be caught up, I still believe that we're going to be raptured out of here, I believe that we are going to leave, I'm talking about before the wrath of God ever gets poured out on this planet bless God, I hope you're recording this because somebody online needs to know that we live in a day and age we are in the home stretch. it is bottom of the night, bases are loaded, it's a full count but i want to tell you you better look yonder for your redemption draweth nigh soon and very soon we are going to see the king soon and very soon he will return soon and very soon he is coming again I wish I had somebody that was ready to leave this world. Somebody ready to pack their bags, stamp their ticket for another place, and head out of here. Somebody help me give him glory this morning. He said, he said when you partake this, you look back, you look up. But then he tells us one more direction to look. He says, You look back at what he established and endured. You look back, or you look up rather, at the fact he's alive and that one day he's coming back and will arrive, and when he does, we will be with him. But he tells us this lastly. He tells us to look in. To look in. For he says something that that's just, it's, it, this is where the fear of the Lord merges. With the graciousness of God, because He says in verse number twenty-seven, look at it with me. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, when when you see that and you see that word unworthily, we'll, we'll easily take that out of context and think, well, I'm not I'm not worthy. Did it didn't land right here? That's a pretty good shot. I almost made it. That when we we partake of this and we're, we're taking something that points to looking back and looking up, it also has us look in because it tells us that there's a severity of partaking this Lord's Supper with a heart or spirit that is not set in spiritual alignment with God. That word unworthily used to scare me because I thought, well, I struggle with sin. I wish I was one of those preachers that could make blanket statements like that and be okay and say, I struggle with sin. And y'all are probably like, yeah, your sin is you don't read enough Bible. Or you only prayed one hour today. There's no way the pastor of the church deals with corrupt communication coming out of his mouth. There's no way the pastor deals with lust like everybody else in the room does. There's no way the pastor can get jealous or prideful or lazy or slothful. There's no way the pastor with the New Grace decal on his Mazda could ever road rage somebody on 441 on the way to church. Oh, now now we're getting real up in here. There's no way the pastor of the church could ever have any kind of underlying addictions that he has to walk through with the Lord. There's no way. The pastor himself is in some degree of recovery from some stronghold. I'm so glad that I don't have to get up here and play the religious card of I struggle with sin. But I can be specific and it points to people in the room and they say, thank God. There's transparency and honesty that if the man of God deals with such things like Paul did and Peter did, there's hope for us who are struggling in our sin today as well. I would read that unworthy thing and I'm like, well, I'm not worthy to, to do this. Not knowing that the worthiness was already rooted in Jesus and not in my ability. This has got nothing to do with our standing in God, like whether or not I'm deserving. None of us in this room are deserving of salvation. Everybody in the room deserves hell. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell right now. None of us deserve salvation. It's a gift freely given by God. This worthiness he's talking about is being out of kilter and out of alignment with God. In other words, it's taking this something that is so sacred and doing it with a flippant, carefree spirit. He's talking about doing it like it's nothing but a ritual or it's nothing but religious practice. The church of Corinth was guilty of partaking of the Lord's Supper with no fear of God in their heart and no respect of the Spirit of God. Do y'all remember what he just got done dealing with? What was the number one thing that Paul had to write about before he started getting into the ordaining of the Lord's Supper and the order of church worship? The first thing he had to deal with concerning their questions was sexual immorality. There's a pressing in my spirit today. Because the easier thing for me right now is to, is to keep the blanket out, right? And just go, all right. When you do the Lord's Supper, you're supposed to practice verse 28. Look at verse 28. Let a man, this is before you take it, Before you partake, Paul was saying, examine yourself, assess yourself, stop, hold the bread, hold the juice, look into your heart, judge yourself, prove yourself. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. In other words, there needs to be a soul-searching, heart-stirring place with you and God where you go, is there anything me and the Lord aren't talking about that we should be talking about? And I think it's interesting that he put the Lord's Supper on the bridge after he dealt with sexual immorality in the church. I wish, I wish I could do what so many preachers want to do in situations like this and go, hey, if you're dealing with sin, you and God need to talk about it. And you might not come back after I say this. You might be here today and be like, no, that's too real. That's too truthful. That, I can go somewhere down the road and get a patty cake sermon and feel good about myself when I leave and not have to deal with that conviction that happened in the room when that preacher went there. But I want to tell you what right now is killing the generation and the generation to come is sexual sin. It's destroying the framework of our faith from the inside out. It is ki- listen, it is killing good Christian men and Christian women. Pastor Jeff and I just did, how many, was it three or four parts? Four-part podcast on pornography. And we got very real and talked about it. Uh, it's on NG Extras on the app. You can listen to it if you haven't already. About pornography, a very real talk. I've actually had some men and women, young men and women, come to me already and say, you have no idea how timely and needed that content was for us. Satan, Satan knows, he knows how to get in, he knows how to get his foot in the door. And and, and there's a lot of us, listen to me, we have put a stop to a lot of things that were harmful to our spirit, harmful to our representation of Jesus in our relationship. And I want to tell you one of the most undercover acts that Satan will establish in your life will be veiled in the covering of sexual immorality. It creeps onto our phones, I mean, hey, you can't, even, you can't even find a good series on Netflix anymore without it being in there. Almost everything you go to watch is M.A., Mature Audience, which is so funny that they call it Mature Audience. And a mature audience is going to be the ones watching it. If it was a spiritually mature audience, I wonder how many of us would just turn it off. Paul goes there. He goes there and he deals with it. He's talking about sin in the church. He's talking about sin in people's lives. And so when he gets the Lord's Supper, he's literally connecting this thought to the overarching theme of iniquity in people's lives. And for many of us in the room today, It's something trapped and harbored inside of us. This is a taboo subject. You don't talk about it in church. Nobody needs to go there. Preacher shouldn't say something like that. That, that, Listen to me. The schools are talking about it, the government's talking about it, it's all over YouTube, it's all over Facebook, it's all over Instagram, it's all over TikTok, everybody else has a license to talk about it, but we as the church have to sit silent on the sidelines with the truth of God's word, keys that will set people free power that will break down strongholds. The next generation is addicted to a black mirror that infiltrates their mind with pornographic imagery and pornographic scenarios. And we have to sit over here and be quiet. We're drowning in this defilement. The church is unraveling. The Holy Spirit is brokenhearted. And our marriages are being messed up because we don't know how to conquer our imagination. We don't know how to conquer the will and the sinful desires of our flesh. and We're giving up so much what we could have later for what we want right now. And I'm talking nobody in this room is exempt. If we're honest with ourselves... Instead of making the Bible a magnifying glass to look at everybody else's life and everybody else's sin, if we'll turn that thing around and let it be a mirror and shine it on the very crevices of who we are and say, God, is there anything in me? Is there anything in me that I haven't examined? You're not going to get free overnight. I wish it was easiest calling it out and confessing it and forsaking it and it's done just like that you know we we look at stories like John 8 the woman taken in adultery you know the story I don't have to paraphrase it and talk about it that much but the woman taken in adultery pharisees are lined up to stone her they're trying to put jesus in an awkward position what say you the law says she's supposed to be stoned she was caught in an adultery in the very act with another man funny you're supposed to bring both of the accused they only brought the woman they did not bring the man probably didn't bring the man because it was probably one of them they bring her out there you know the story jesus starts drawing in the dirt He says, he that is without sin among you cast the first stone. From the eldest to the youngest, they dropped the rocks and walked away. Him and this woman. This adulterous, defiled, religiously dirty woman. The only one qualified to throw a rock at her was him. He that is without sin cast the first stone. He's the only one that could have done it. Instead of throwing a rock at her, He said, where are your accusers? Right then he deals with the law. He's not not negating or condoning the fact that she's innocent. She's not innocent. She's guilty. But what Jesus does is he deals with the condemnation. Oh God, I'm about to help somebody. He deals with the condemnation. He removes the accusations. He removes the accusers. Now he's the only thing left to judge her. And it's not written in the scripture, but somewhere... In her heart, there was a believing faith that rested fully in his mercy and his grace at that moment that he would not stone her. Where are those thine accusers? Doth any man condemn thee? And she said, no man, Lord. She excluded God because he was the only one that could judge her. No man, Lord. Everything is resting on the next statement he says neither neither do i condemn thee he knows everything that she's done he could see every detail of her act he knew exactly how long the affair had been going on with he knew every house every hotel every place they slept with each other he knew how it affected her family, how it affected his family. He knew everything everybody was saying about her. He knew full well the weight and the gravity of her sin. And he said, I'm not condemning you either. And then he said this, go and sin no more. He handed this girl the keys to her own freedom. Her fight wasn't over. Because for her to go and sin no more, She hasn't only made this thing right with God. Now she's got to go find Johnny Come Lately and say, hey, I ain't seeing you no more. I got to make this right. She had to go find her husband and say, I'm making this right. Everybody that had a misrepresentation of her life, she said, I'm going to make this right. And the battle began. God doesn't just... Snatch sin out of your life. Listen to me. If you're in this room and you've got a headlock on your heart and you're holding on to it and you don't want to turn loose, Jesus ain't going to come and get you in a a rear naked choke or an arm bar and pull it out of your hands. Jesus is a gentleman. He says, if you want to lay this down and walk in freedom, you can put it right here in my nail-scarred hand. But I ain't going to pry it from your hand. I ain't going to pull your fingers off. If you want to lay this thing down, you can put it right here. And I can help you walk in clarity and confidence in who I am. And the reality at the Lord's supper table today his hand is outstretched for that one in this room that's out of kilter or out of alignment with a holy God he asks you, look in question yourself question yourself is there anything? Y'all ever done that? We're in a moment of honesty with God, you said, is there anything? And before you could even get the word, anything out of your mouth, God said, that. You know why the Lord's Supper is so important? Because it causes us to look in before we partake and we point to what Jesus did for us and what he's going to do for us. It causes us to look in and say, I'm gonna get that right, I'm gonna confess that. Before I partake of this, I want to make sure that I'm taking what God said in my life serious. So here's what I wanna do. We got two boxes at the back. We got four boxes at the front. Most of these elements are at the front. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand with me here in just a second. And we're gonna all go get one. And you can stay at the altar with me You can go back to your seat. It doesn't matter. And we're going to partake together. And I'm going to walk you through this. And we're going to, listen to me, we're going to honor the Lord in doing this together. And we're going to allow Him to meet our our needs, speak to our heart, and work in our spirit right now. Come on, stand with me. Let's, uh, Let's go ahead and just start lining up. Right down here. Come on. Come get some. Come on. I ain't got to coach you through it. Y'all just go go get you, get, get you, get you an element. And listen, if there's somebody that's, that's not getting one and, or, or, or not participating, that, that's none of your business. That, that, may, that may say more about their spirituality than it does less. There have been times in my life where I did not partake because I knew in my heart I wasn't ready to get serious about the things that God was pointing out. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to take that flippantly. I'm not taking that religiously. I'm going to take it seriously. And if I can't take it to heart, I'm not taking it in my hand. Bring those lights down when you get a second, Joe. Adam, we're going to land this plane here together. Jesus said these elements cause us to look back. They cause us to look up. and They cause us to look in. I want you right now to close your eyes. I want you to draw a circle around yourself. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to go before God with me right now. And we're going to examine ourselves. Spirit of God, I've tried to be obedient to what you put on my heart to say today. I want to thank you that it was not planned or orchestrated. It's just us hooking up to what you wanted to do. And I have been obedient in saying everything that you just put flowing through the river for me to say. And I pray that it has been received with faith, understanding, and openness. The whole point of this, the institution and the taking of the Lord's Supper is supposed to put us at the table with you. To see the nails in your hands. The scars on your brow. The holes in your feet. Your open side. And to recognize that what you did, you did for us. And you established a new thing with your blood. And in this practice... It points us to a day when you are going to come because you are no longer dead. You are alive, you live, and you will return. And we will demonstrate and declare this openly and publicly until you come back. We're going to be the church of the living God until you return. We're going to be the men and women of God that your Bible tells us we can be until you come. And so right now, God, in in taking self-inventory, in taking self-assessment, in opening up every door in the home of our heart, searching everywhere, is there anything in me, is there anything in us that's contrary to your truth? Is there any lie that we're harboring? Is there any falsehood that we're in agreement with? Is there any spirit that we're giving place to? Is there any deception that we're facilitating? Is there any dishonesty? Is there any crookedness? Is there any doing that needs to be undone or any undoing that needs to be done? Search me. Tell him that right now. Maybe it's been 10 years since you had a serious conversation with God. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're in major transition and change in your life and you're not even sure what God wants for you next. It doesn't matter what He wants for you next. Right now, this is what He wants for you today. He wants an intimate time with you. An opportunity to bring cleansing an opportunity to bring a purging, an opportunity to put his hands on the ugly stuff in your life and pick it up and carry it away for you. Doth any man condemn thee? Listen to it, young lady. Doth any man condemn thee? If God be for you, who could be against you? Who shall bring any accusation or condemnation to what Jesus forgives? God is handing you the key to your own freedom today, sir. And he's saying, put it on the table. I can handle it. Do you not see the scars in my wrist? Do you not see what I went through? Don't overlook it. Look back at what I've done for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I did this for you. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't forgive yourself. You couldn't wash yourself. You couldn't justify yourself. I've done this for you. My body broken. My blood shed. I died. I died in your place. I suffered in your place. It should have been you that went through that agony, but instead I took the wrath of Almighty God on your behalf. But I'm not a dead savior, I'm a living savior. I'm alive. I am seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. I will come for you. I will come. I Yes, I left. I left and I went away. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. I am coming back. I am coming back. I know, I know the cultural climate of this world is getting worse and worse. I know the days are getting darker. I know society is getting dirtier. I know that things are not going to turn around in this world or in this country until I come back. So keep looking up, be of good cheer, be of good cheer, oh faint of heart and look up. I will return. Just look in right now. Look into your soul, look into your spirit, look into your heart. Align yourself with the judgment of God. God says that you're free, start living free. God says if you confess it and forsake it, there's mercy for you. Come on, put it on the table, just put it in his hand right now. You ain't gotta say it out loud, it ain't nobody else's business, but let your heart, your mind, and your confession go there. Put it in God's hand. It's It's not listen to me. It might not go away overnight. This might be a struggle. You might have to put some steps to your prayers. and You might have to work at it. You might have to stand against it. And The thing that you're going to confess and forsake right now in this moment because you want to partake of the Lord's Supper with a worthy heart, tomorrow it's going to come back. Next weekend it's going to come back. Next month it's going to be back. That devil ain't going to leave you alone. That temptation is not just going to stay in the tall grass and watch you graze. It's coming back. You're at the table and God Almighty with His hand outstretched says, son, will you give that to me so I can take it from you and I can set your heart aright? I'm going to give you time in the stillness of this moment with your God to talk to Him about it. You've asked. He spoke. Now you tell Him all your heart. He has shown you your heart, now you tell him all your heart. I want you to listen to me. I felt like the Lord pressing me to say this. I need to, I need to help somebody here. Before we take this step together, I need to help you. When you become a Christian and you begin to follow Jesus and you begin to live for him and you, you, you try to love him and you try to do right, you just get bulldozed by sin every time. You get bulldozed and and you do stuff that you know is not fitting for who you are and you do things that are unbecoming of who you are and you do it and you just feel like crap for doing it and you feel guilty. And here's here's the reality. There's a love and hate relationship and here it is. You, you, You love your sin more than you love God. This is where you're at, it's okay. This is the reality though. You love your sin more than you love God. And that's why, you, that's why you, you do it so flippantly, so easily. But what happens is you love your sin, and after you commit your sin, you hate yourself. As you grow and mature and you get closer with God, the struggle becomes more real, the fight is harder. The temptation is heavier and, and you're at war and you're trying to talk yourself out of doing it. Listen to me, I'm, I'm talking from experience. I'm talking when, when I was at war with myself, fighting the temptation and, 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 and trying not to give in, trying not to commit it, trying to, trying to busy my mind or get away from it, or, uh, especially when it came to sexual sin, trying, trying to just put some kind of busy distance between me and however that could happen. Then you end up giving in. Again, I loved my sin more than I hated my sin, and now in loving my sin, here I am hating myself. My hatred is not towards God. God gave me everything in that moment to escape that temptation, to overcome that sin. I've got the power and nature of Christ in me to overcome that, but I gave in to the old Derek again, and i sinned again, and here I am loving my sin and I hate myself. But you get to a wonderful place where that temptation comes up again. They send you that message. They ask you to meet them. You're sitting alone again with them or you're by yourself. And that laptop starts calling. That phone starts whispering. That temptation starts churning. And you go, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. I have been tripped up by you so many times and burned by you so many times and fell prey to this so many times. Do you know that I'm actually starting to hate you more than I love you? Like, it feels good to gratify my flesh. It feels good to say those words. It feels good to let that person know how I feel. It it feels good to go there. It feels good to do that. But you know what? We're at a point now with me and Him where I'm starting to really hate you more than I like you. And I love Him more than I love you. And the more I begin to love Him, the more I begin to hate this. And the more I begin to love Him, the less I hate myself. Jesus offers you at the table today. My body, my blood was for you. Before we partake, I will give you this key. Young man, listen to me. I will give you this key that helped me for so many years. Do I really want to commit the sin that he suffered for? Do I want to go and do that again, knowing this is what nailed him to that cross? Do I want to do this again, knowing this is what poured blood down his face? Do I want to do this again, knowing this is what made him cry? This is what made him scream in agony. Do I want to do this again, knowing he did this so I would never have to do it again? Free yourself. Free yourself through His body and His blood. Open with me the top layer of the cup. Talk about your spirit getting tested. That was was difficult for me. First, we partake of the wafer, which is the bread, unleavened bread. Unleavened, in which there is no corruption, like his body, like his life, broken for us. Father, we thank you that you took our place in the Son Jesus Christ when he was beaten and broken for us. We receive this bread as it points back to his body that was broken on our behalf. In Jesus' name, let's eat. Carefully open the cup. The fruit of the vine points to His perfect, precious blood that was shed. Blood shed to open up a new contractual agreement between God and man, you and God, and blood that was shed to cover every sin you'll ever commit. In that wonderful? Every sin you'll ever commit, God had to cover it with his own blood. And this blood was shed for you and I. Father, we thank you that Jesus paid for us, that he covered our sin. Apart from His blood, there is no forgiveness. Apart from His blood, there is no standing with God. Apart, from his God. apart from His blood, Lord, there is nothing but wrath and judgment. And so I plead the blood that was shed for me. I believe that I am in covenant with God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. And for that, I thank you and I give my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us drink. You can set your trash in the seat. You're welcome to keep it with you and then throw it in one of the trash cans when you leave here today. Can we pray? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you allowed us, God, to strap into this ride today and you took us up the hills and back down again. That we were able to laugh, we were able to cry, we were able to rejoice, but more than all of the emotion and all of the feeling that was wrapped into what you did here this morning, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you showed up and that you spoke up, that you pointed into the, the depths of our hearts and caused us to look in and see a need for cleansing and confession, to see a need for rightness and righteousness. I don't want to mess this up before I go to bed tonight. I want to keep this fellowship that I've got with you right now. You know my mind. You know my mouth. You know my mentality. You you know what I'm made out of. And I'm asking you right now, God, to help me to stay yielded to you as I am in this moment. That when my patience is tested later. That when temptation tests me later. That when sin tries to rise up, when sin nature tries to rise up, that I will reckon myself dead indeed to that sin and alive unto you. Can we pray this all over the house? Lord, help me to love you more than I love my sin. Help me today to start a love relationship with you and a hate relationship with my sin. To see it for what it is, to call it for what it is, to forsake it for what it is, And to come to you with an open heart of alignment and agreement and be the man or woman of God that you want me to be. I love you and I bless you today and I thank you for speaking and moving. In Jesus name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.